Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Romans together and the 13th chapter. And while you're headed there, um, we always want to celebrate God's grace in different special ways in our, in our congregation. And, and uh, so I would like Nick Master Petro Jr. to stand and tell us if anything happened in his life lately that's worth noting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah. And I know standing is her favorite thing to do in public. <laughs> oh yeah. Tell us a little <laughs> well said, my friend. Well said. Now you both are saved, right? You know the Lord is your Savior. You're both growing in grace. That's great. You guys know the immeasurable amount of grace it takes for a master Petro. <laughs> right? Who, who bleeds scarlet and gray to become engaged and fall in love with someone from the state up north. <laughs> so this is like love's deepest river, ocean, widest ocean. This is all of grace. Amen. We're looking forward to get to know you, Fred. All right. <laughs> yeah, we got another go whatever here. All right. Congratulations to both of you. Romans chapter 13. Let's read these verses together. And I promise you one thing this morning. I promise you that I will not finish this outline. But I will preach part of it. And hopefully true to God's word. And I want to take a little bit more time on these last few verses of this chapter because they're so significant to understand in relationship to where we're headed in chapter 14. Right? It's, it's, it's should never cease to amaze us how divinely ordered... The Word of God is when it comes to practically applying the doctrine of Scripture. In other words, chapters 1 through 11, right? The doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapters 12 through the end of the book, the practical application. How do we live that gospel in our culture, in our lives personally, in our, in our homes domestically, in our lives vocationally? in our communities. How do we live out that gospel? And then I just want you, as you continue to come week after week, to think about the divine progress from chapter 12 and verse 1 all the way through the end of chapter 16. And as best as we can, rehearse that practical progress throughout your week. Because this is the gospel we get to live. God just didn't give us a gospel and give us a few mandates. He gave us the gospel by His grace. He gives us the ability by His grace to live out those mandates before a group of people in our lives who desperately need Jesus. We don't 
ever merely obey to obey, certainly to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken in the fat of rams, as Samuel said. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Certainly we obey because that is love. That's what John said in 2 John 6, right? This is love that you keep my commandments. But nowhere in Scripture can you find evidence to the fact that God saved us by His grace, gave us His grace and the ability by that grace to live out these commandments detached from the opportunity to influence somebody else. Not one time in Scripture. The way we live by His grace after we're saved by His grace always offers us an opportunity to influence someone by His grace. Can you remember that? Saved by His grace, living by His grace, to influence someone by His grace. They're always organically connected. So as we read these final verses of chapter 13, let's always keep in mind the flow of the practical order of this text together. He says here in verse 11, Romans 13 and verse 11, do this, do this. Literally in the Greek language of the New Testament, it's this. <laughs> it's one word, and there's even argumentation over that one word, but nonetheless, not argumentation, there's, there's much discussion over that. We'll discuss that in a little bit. This, knowing the time, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to waken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to lusts. To lust. It's lust. It's is added there in the English in regard to lusts. I'm going to break down this particular paragraph into three sections as we normally like to do. But this morning I would just like to preach on the first. And next week on the ninth we'll, we'll preach on the second and the third, God willing. If you like to take notes, uh, here's the outline to help you follow along. The first, uh, verse 11 and the first part of verse 12, we would call that 12a, the first line of verse 12, first, well, half of the first line of verse 12 anyway. Verses 11 and 12a, we're going to talk about a renewed perspective. That's where we're going to park this morning. A renewed perspective that the grace of God gives us in light of living out that grace before others. Next week, we're going to discuss the second part of verse 12 and verse 13, which is a refined direction. This morning, a renewed perspective. Next week, a refined direction. Second part of verse 12 and 13. And finally, in verse 14, a relentless appropriation. A relentless appropriation. In other words, what do, how do we relentlessly apply the truth that God gives us to live by his grace in our culture. Okay? But for this morning, let's continue on and let's discuss this renewed perspective. How many of you have a device in which you make your calendar? 
How many of you have a device? How many of you set alarms on that device to ensure that you don't miss appointments, alerts, right? Most of us. How many of you, even though you have a digital calendar that's set in the cloud, that's always self-perpetuating in its updates, and you not just set the appointment, but you set an alert to that appointment, have still missed an appointment? Everyone look around. I just want to, this is for my own sake, for my self-esteem, because I do this all the time. I just want to make sure you all know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> okay. All right. Isn't it amazing? You know, in our culture, we're a busy culture, right? As a matter of fact, the more technologically advanced our culture becomes, the more layered our lives are. Would you agree? Uh, we're able to work more efficiently, live more efficiently, um, recreate more efficiently. And the more we're able to efficiently run our lives, every part of our lives, even, even uh, digitally organizing our diets, our calorie intake, and the specific aspects of diet, fat intake, right, vitamin deficiency, whatever. The more detailed we are in every part of our lives, it seems like we're willing to add more stuff and more busyness into our lives to the point where we always walk around saying, I don't know where the time's going to come from to do this. And Paul says here, there's something that we need to make sure that we're disciplined and putting in our calendars and it needs to be irremovable. It cannot be removed from our weekly calendars. So out of all the things that we're layered with, before the end of the service, I want us to think where we can put this reality into our weekly schedules. Okay? That's why I'm just going to deal with point one this morning. I have a full outline, a full detailed outline. I could probably take two to three hours to preach the detail on my screen this morning. But I'm just going to do this, right? And I had no plans on doing this until early this morning. I thought, you know what? I just want to think about how practically we're going to inject this into our calendars and leave it there. Because we're so layered, I really think a lot of us struggle, including me, with this, okay? So, I'm not going to be over the top. I'm not going to overwhelm you. I'm not going to underwhelm you. We're just going to let the Spirit of God influence you, hopefully this morning, by just looking at this first section. So let's look at it together here. All right? He says, do this. Knowing the time. Do what? Do this. What's this? The answer to that is what we preached last week in verses 8 to 10. What did we preach last week? I'll summarize it. We preached last week in verses 8 to 10 that there is one debt that we can never repay. We're to leave no debt outstanding, right? (laughs) Pay your debts, but there's one debt that we can never repay. And do you recall what that debt that we can never repay is? It's a debt of love, and that debt of love is this. Love compels us by grace to live out God's ethical and moral standard of living in a culture of darkness before those who need Jesus Christ. 
So you take the admonitions given to us in these verses, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Go back, listen to last week, refresh your hearts and minds. And let's make sure that we're loving our neighbors as ourselves. We discussed that last week. Love does not do wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And we discussed how that happens in a believer's life. But Paul says, do this. Live out the fulfillment of that law. Live out life, the life of Christ, which only he could live. But now that you own him in your heart, let him live through you this moral and ethical standard before people who need to see that exclusive, countercultural, spiritual light in order to understand who Jesus is. They've got to be eyewitnesses to the character of Jesus Christ. And we are the only evidence in living form, in living human form, we are the only evidence of that grace that they'll have. We all know that we're made in the image of God, right? And, and, and every man has a conscience. And God uses that conscience, that, that moral part of that conscience to persuade them between right and wrong. And, and our culture enjoys that moral conscience to a certain degree. And they all have creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth its handiwork. Day and the day utter speech and night and the night, right? The stars show knowledge that there's a creator for sure. But that conscience and that creation cannot save. God can use those two things to lead them to his saints. And yes, the Spirit of God is in the world, convicting the world all the time of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. But think about that. The Spirit of God uses the conscience in which he gave every man to convict them that they can be wrong. Think about that. It's amazing, divine um, <laughs> reality. God uses the conscience that he's given man to convict them that they're wrong from time to time. And if they don't ever get that they're wrong, then he gives us human government to show them that they were wrong sometimes. Lawyers, judges, courts, prisons, and so forth. But in advance of that, he gives them creation. Where every day, right? What does the Bible say? That God allows the rain to fall and the sun to shine both upon the righteous and the unrighteous. And he can use creation to awe them. That there is indeed someone, not something, bigger than them. And God could use that conscience and creation, and then he, in his own divine strategic plan, has an ability, believe it or not. He has an ability to take those people he's convicting of sin through their consciousness, of righteousness. There's someone bigger than them. It's got to have a creator. Our creator is Jesus Christ. And of judgment to come, he, he crescendos their lives into your presence. So long before they become associated with you, contemplate this. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of God, does he not? The Holy Spirit is God, would you agree? So he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He's all those things, right? He's all powerful. You get that. All knowing. He's in the world all the time, convicting everyone through their conscience. 
and through creation that there's something wrong with them. And the more man fights to prove that they've got an inner light and there's nothing wrong with them, that is only an indication of how much the Spirit of God's convicting them that there is something wrong with them. The more they push, the more they push, the more they push, is only an evidence that their hearts are being pressed more and more and more and more and more that something's not right with them. Just like your kids when you reared them. Sometimes they would just push and push and push, right? And the more you were trying to influence them for right, their little souls would do what? They knew they were wrong, but they didn't want to admit they were wrong. Mankind's just like that. So let's all take a deep breath and just relax. Long before you have an encounter with someone that needs Jesus, the Holy Spirit is way ahead of you. And then he just places you by divine appointment right around a soul or two, maybe more. That you can do this. Do this. Just live out this moral, ethical purity. And let the Spirit of God do His work through your countercultural life. Okay? This is a renewed perspective, my friends. I'm going to give you three little points that underpin this renewed perspective, okay? So if, again, if you take notes, feel free to write these down. In living with a renewed perspective, Paul asks us here to live with discernment. To live with discernment. He's going to tell us how. He's going to say here, secondly, live with determination. Live with determination. And then finally, live with anticipation. Discernment determination, and anticipation. So we're just going to break these little phrases down one at a time, all to support this reality that believers live by God's grace with a renewed perspective in life. What does he say? We are to know the time. To know the time. The use of the word time here can only be rationally explained by considering a few ways the Bible discusses the subject of time. So I'm going to explain just a couple ways and paint it with a broad brush because we have people that have been saved in here for days and some for decades. Okay? All right. this is a, we could preach probably a three-month series on the theological concept of time in the Bible. We have a great lesson in our foundation or in our walk study on time. We've discussed stewardship of time together as a church and Bible study hours and so forth. But for this morning, time can be in reference in the Bible to time in the future. Time in the Bible can be time in general. In other words, considering past time and future time, what does God want us to do in this time? And the Bible specifically talks about how we live with time in the present. Time in the present. There was one group of Old Testament uh, Jews, one tribe of 12 in the nation of Israel, the tribe of Issachar. And if you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, you can read the story. There's a list there of all the 12 tribes of Israel and how many soldiers they came to fight with David at Hebron. 
Issachar was the smallest number of all 12 tribes. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's exponentially smaller than the others. But this is what is said about this particular tribe in the midst of all those tribes gathering to fight with David. The writer of Chronicles said that these are men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood the times. Now, that's not in reference to the future. It's not in reference to the past or the past and their future together. It's in reference for that moment. They were able to take the revealed word of God at that time, apply it to their lives personally, apply it to their tribe of Israel collectively, and then live that out among the other tribes of Israel corporately to be an influence. And that one tribe that was the smallest representation at that moment ends up being the largest spiritual influence. Because they knew the word, they knew how to live it, and they knew how to influence. They always knew that the knowing of the word and the living of the word was always meant to influence others. That's where Paul is headed here. This is the local church. We're saved by God's grace. We're informed by his grace. We're able to live out his word by his grace. And he's saying this, live, do this, live out verses 8 and 10, knowing the time. The word time here, there's two general words for time in the New Testament. One is time in sequence. Time in order, where we get our English word chronological, time in order. And then one is just a specific time. A specific time. What does that mean? Well, it just simply means taking advantage of this opportunity at this moment. This opportunity at this moment. In other words, yesterday was the beginning of college football season, right? And if you follow college football, and I was told early in seminary, don't ever give illustrations that a lot of people in the auditorium are not going to be interested in. But I'm about to disobey my professor. For all of you that don't like college football, please pretend to listen, okay? Right. What do you see all over social media, newspapers, and everything? It's the first week of college football. One article I read said, it's game time. It's game time. Let's do this. That's the idea behind this word time. It's game time. We've got our uniforms on. We're coached up. We're well taught. We've rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed what this moral ethic is. And now we're going to go out and live this moral ethic as a team. Well prepared. Good nutrition. Good spiritual weightlifting. We're ready to go. And we will have an influence. But not by ourselves, but by the grace of God. There are people we will influence. I don't know how many, but I'll guarantee you there will at least be one in your lifetime. It's game time. And he says here, know this. And the reality is you need to be confident that your preparation has been such by the grace of God that you will. And remember, the Holy Spirit goes way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. So now when I pray for my friends that need Jesus, this is how I pray. Lord, I know you're in the world convicting it of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Lord, I have been instructed well in your word by really godly people. Lord, I've been taught what those mandates are, and I've been taught how to live those mandates by your grace. But Lord, all that's futile unless you allow me to have an influence for Jesus Christ. It's futile. We're not an institution, right? We're not an organization that's fortressed up and keeps to ourselves. God's designed us to influence. God designed his son to influence, didn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for, for, for many. That's our pledge of allegiance. People need to see Christ in us. We don't have to go in heavy-handed. We certainly aren't going to go in underhanded. We're just going to go in and live this moral, pure ethic of Jesus Christ and be countercultural and let people watch as we relate. And God will provide those opportunities. I want you to cross-reference in the margin of your Bible here, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The Apostle Paul asked the Colossian believers to pray for two things. Pray that he would have an influence for the gospel, but before that he would have an influence as an evangelist for the gospel, that they themselves would have an influence in their own city, Colossae. Pray. Prayer, my friends, is absolutely essential in living with this kind of determination. It's absolutely essential. Pray. Pray. He goes on to say that as a result of that prayer, you will be given opportunity. As a matter of fact, he says, keep redeeming the time and make the most of every opportunity. And the word opportunity means there God's going to give you an opportunistic time. It's game time, right? There's an opportunistic time to just obey. And it kind of reminds me of 1 Peter 3.15, if you want to write that in the margin of your Bible. Sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart, and then be ready to give an answer of your faith when others ask. Does that make sense now? 1 Peter 3.15 is often used so radically out of its context. Well, we look at it as an opportunity because the Greek word, uh, where we get our English word apologetics is used in there. Be ready to defend your faith. And we go in there with our dukes up, right? And we're ready to just kind of debate and jab and end. And that's not it at all. That's completely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. This is the order of the ethic, my friends. Saved by grace, live out commands by grace, influenced by grace. And that happens as we walk through the natural rhythms of life. If you're truly living a redemptive life, you'll have redemptive lifestyles. And you'll be friends with the unredeemed. And you just live out. And as in that normal course of conversation, they ask questions. You know, I noticed we were out to dinner the other night and you didn't order any booze. Why? Well, that used to consume me, and I used to do some really sinful things. And so I just can't live under control of God when I even have a little bit. So I, I just don't anymore. Oh, so you're one of those Jesus freaks. No, well, you know, I'm not a freak. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm your friend. You're my friend. I'm not a freak. I just, 
He gives me the ability to do things, to not do things that I used to do just because those other things used to lead me to do some pretty dark things. And I just don't do that anymore. Wow. All right, change subject, right? Move on. <laughs> and then you continue to move on. That's the idea here, folks. This is nothing sensational. Write this down. This is nothing sensational. It's supernaturally normal. It's supernaturally normal. Believe it or not, God did not give everyone the gift of evangelism that could stand up and preach the gospel before thousands. As a matter of fact, most believers don't have that gift. But most people who will be saved will be saved by being influenced by people who do not have that gift. Don't be amazed by the person that can win many because they have a spiritual gift. Be amazed by the supernaturally normal. That's you living out this ethic, prayed up, one soul at a time. Everyone take a deep breath, relax, and get burdened, and be prepared to influence. Okay? Be opportunistic. Do this knowing the time. Live with discernment. Live with discernment. Live with determination. The text that we already read says that it is already the hour for you to awaken out of sleep. I find this phrase particularly intriguing and interesting because we've already studied the church in Rome at this time is really healthy. So some research needs to be done to understand what Paul, that Paul is not being critical here, but just analytical as he writes to Rome. He's not saying, look, I know how busy your schedules can become, or, he, or excuse me, he is saying, I know how busy your schedules can become. I know the pressures of life, family, work, extended family, and church obligations and worship obligations, but we need to make sure our proper discernment works its way out into a proper determination, and that is this. Stay awake to do what? To do this. Stay awake. Carve out time in your schedule to do this. To do this. Good people like you, like us, can spiritually fall asleep, particularly in the misuse or mismanagement of our time, as we become so layered with stuff and things and opportunities that are all good in life, and we, we aren't able to do this, to do this. I have a son that plays football. And the hardest day of the week to get him out of bed is the day after a game. Two to three days after the game, his body is typically littered with bruises, arms and legs, right? Usually loses between five to 10 pounds a game, right? You're blistered, he's tired, okay? In addition to that, he's got school, weightlifting, loves his church family, loves to be around his friends, loves to mow a lawn or two. <laughs> he lives life to the extent that an 18-year-old can live life. 
the day after the game, he's pretty exhausted. Somehow gets himself up and gets himself moving. I'm amazed to watch that. Okay. Take that kid's life, take your life, take a college student's life, taking a college student with the new job, paying off school debt, and the layers of life that you have. Life in anyone's calendar can be flooded with necessary and good opportunities, all the while we're in a flurry of activity around life and rarely cognizant of the fact of, do this, do this. There's someone right around you in the flurry of life that the Holy Spirit's way ahead of you, convicting them of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. Let's not miss those people. Let's pray for those people. Let's pray for those opportunities, okay? And let's see God work. Live with determination. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. One of our... One of our ministry students here who's studying for the ministry, Brandon, sent me this text this morning. And so I got my computer open and added it because I thought it was excellent relationship. He's studying along, I guess, in this passage with me. I didn't know that till this morning. And he sent me this quote. He said, separation isn't removing ourselves from unbelievers. It's removing ourselves from the sin of unbelievers so that when we are around them, they can see Jesus Christ. Do this. Do this. So live with discernment. Live with determination. And then realize how to live with anticipation. And we'll close and go to our baptisms here. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first were saved. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we were first believed, first saved. In other words, salvation can be understood real quickly here in three ways. The salvation of our souls when we came to know Jesus. Okay? The future salvation that we'll have when as Jesus' people were removed from this earth. And then the salvation of this earth from the influences of sin. And that's another study. Sometime in eternity. Right? When the Lord gives us a new heaven and a new earth. The salvation that Paul's talking about particularly here is about the time when God's people will be removed from this earth and then comes the great tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. He's saying now, live with this anticipation. Jesus is coming. We've got a short time, a short time to do this, to do this. Know that God wants you and is prepared for you to do this. Be ready. Because no one knows the hour. No one knows the day of the return of Jesus and our salvation from this earth. So don't fall asleep. Be determined. Live with discernment. Do this. Because we need to live like light for the hours coming when Jesus will return and our opportunity is over. The night is almost here. The night is almost gone as the day is near. The night here is Paul's description of the sin-saturated culture in which we live. 
It's the culture that plans for, wakes up for, and lives to fulfill their fallen, dark desires. They literally live for the night. They literally live for the night. They know that nothing really wholesome happens after one o'clock in the morning, sometimes midnight, right? But our whole world lives for all the darkness of the night, okay? All the darkness of the night. They live for this. I want to get off work so I can go do this and then do this. All hoping that their good outweighs their bad while nervously awaiting the end of their life and the subjective cosmic sentencing of their life regarding their eternal destiny. The night is almost gone. In other words, the time where this, our, the time of our living in this night, in this darkness of this culture, is almost gone. The day, the day star has already come once, right? Second Peter chapter 1, that's Luke 2, the description of the history of the coming of Jesus the first time to earth. Jesus is coming again. The day is coming again. The day Jesus Christ is coming. His feet aren't going to touch the earth this time. He's going to take his church away. Right. Away from the night. Right. And still give the dark culture time to respond to him who is the light of God, Jesus Christ. But for now, but for now, live. Live. With anticipation. Paul's, Paul's, the idea here, folks, is Paul is saying hopeful people that can't wait to see Jesus are people, go back, who are doing this, who are afforded this opportunity because they're doing this. And the more they have this opportunity to influence people who live in the night for Jesus Christ, the more they look for the day, the coming of Jesus Christ. I am overwhelmed here more and more. There is more chatter in this church about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ than I've ever heard in my life. And it's increasing more and more. I used to come to church here growing up as a boy, and I would never hear chatter about it unless it was a message from the pulpit. Everyone loved to talk about sports. They loved to talk about gardening. They loved to talk about their lives. And that's okay. Nothing, talk, nothing bad about talking about that stuff. But you just rarely ever heard chatter about Jesus is coming. But it's interesting to me. The more disciple-making culture we become, the more you're growing each other in the word to live that moral, pure ethic in our culture, and the more you're influencing, because that's just what God's ethic does. It influences. We're seeing fruit. And when that fruit comes, we all get more excited about seeing the author and finisher of our salvation, Jesus Christ himself. Live with anticipation. Let's just keep growing. Just keep growing with this perspective. Let's pray together.